This week's edition of the Spoiler Free Wrestling Podcast is brought to you by Fight.tv. And on Fight.tv right now, you can pre-order Slammiversary on July 18th, 2020 and see what formerly released WWE stars are on their way to Impact Wrestling. You can also catch a replay of AEW's last pay-per-view featuring the Stadium Stampede match, Fight.tv. Welcome back to Spoiler Free Wrestling, the podcast edition. We're going to run down all the news making headlines in the world of pro wrestling this week. And there is no bigger story than a giant shakeup atop WWE's creative team. Paul Heyman is out. The Raw and SmackDown writing teams have been consolidated. And Bruce Prichard. Brother Love is going to lead up both teams. And it was less than a year ago. Let's go back to June 2019. And what was going on in the wrestling world at that time was WWE was preparing for SmackDown to move to Fox. AEW uh, had been doing some shows but they had not yet debuted AEW Dynamite. Both of those things would come in the fall. And so WWE, perhaps responding to falling ratings, just wanting to create a big buzz as they moved SmackDown to Fox, they announced that, well, they'd created these roles, the executive director of Raw, and the executive director of SmackDown. And they announced that Paul Heyman would be the executive director of Raw, and Eric Bischoff would be the executive director of SmackDown. Not even one year later, both are gone. Both are gone. The Raw and SmackDown teams are once again writing together. And, I mean, Bischoff. When Bischoff was announced as the executive director of SmackDown, a lot of people went, huh? Why is he being given this role? Sure, he's the man behind Nitro. And Nitro did a lot of very innovative things that whatever you want to say about Eric Bischoff, WCW Nitro changed the wrestling business. But that was, I mean, a quarter of a century ago. So it seemed weird that Bischoff was being put in that role when he hadn't really had a role with WWE since he was the general manager of Raw. He might come back from time to time to do something, but he hadn't really been involved with the organization. But here he is. He's going to be the man that takes WWE SmackDown onto Fox. And he was gone four months later. Didn't even last four months. Picked up. Moved, every, moved his entire life to Connecticut for the role. Gone in a few months. And Bruce Pritchard was named as his replacement. Now, Paul Heyman, there was far more optimism regarding Paul Heyman's appointment to the executive director position of Raw. But Raw, over the last year, 
it, well, it feels very much like a wrestling program that was being directed by two people who had separate visions. And you could tell this by the amount of uh, wrestlers who started to get pushes. We started to see them on television more often than they, than they had been. I'm thinking about guys like Ricochet, guys like Cedric Alexander, who would eventually form a tag team together, and then we would never see that tag team. Uh, again, they, they tagged together for a few weeks and then they were gone after Ricochet was being, it seemed like Ricochet was being built up to be a main event star, but then he went to Saudi Arabia and he got beaten handily by Brock Lesnar. He gets handily defeated by Brock Lesnar and then it seems like we never see him again. And that's sort of how Raw had felt for the last year, where we're we're getting these people that it, it felt like Paul Heyman liked them because Paul Heyman likes edgy characters. You know, he likes edgy characters that he thinks wrestling fans will find cool. And he likes really good wrestlers. Those are his things. But Vince McMahon, he likes big wrestlers and larger-than-life characters. So there's, a, there's a, a, a significant difference between how Paul Heyman books a wrestling show and how Vince McMahon books a wrestling show. Now, Bruce Pritchard, over on SmackDown, SmackDown is, has uh, really ever, ever... I, I never really felt Bischoff's fingerprints on SmackDown. It always seemed like a Vince McMahon show. But SmackDown is very much a Vince McMahon show. So SmackDown's all about larger-than-life characters. If you look at you, you've got Braun Strowman. I mean, he's the biggest guy on the roster. He's the champion. King Corbin, big guy, larger-than-life uh, gimmick, and he's a major focal point of the show. That's what SmackDown is. Raw was like Paul Heyman trying to get his style of wrestling show past Vince McMahon. It's almost like you could hear the conversations between Paul Heyman and Vince McMahon. Paul Heyman wanting a guy like Ricochet to be in that top spot, but Ricochet doesn't really fit what Vince McMahon would put in that top spot. And so it seemed like Raw was inconsistent or constantly in a state of flux. And you could tell that there were people butting heads atop the creative process of Raw. And so now that conflict is gone. Paul Heyman removed from the WWE creative team. In the statement that WWE released, they said he's going to stay on, you know, in, a, in an on-air role. He's going to be Brock Lesnar's mouthpiece. There's no signs that he's going to manage anybody else. And now what we have, what we're gonna get, is a Vince McMahon show on both Raw and SmackDown. And so that's gonna be good for some wrestlers and bad for other wrestlers. Obviously, it's gonna be bad for the wrestlers that Paul Heyman had been pushing for. But we're gonna see a lot of changes on Raw. I think Raw is gonna be an entirely different show now because Paul Heyman's fingerprints aren't going to be on it. And it's it's interesting 
because we're in this period where there's so much wrestling to watch that you can really start to find trends of the bookers. You can figure out what are the kinds of things that they like to do. So we've talked about what Vince McMahon likes. He likes physically big wrestlers and larger than life characters. That's his thing. In a pinch, he'll always go back to what gave him success in the 80s. Hulk Hogan, a big muscular baby face who beats all the cheating bad guys and there's lots of colorful characters. That's what he will revert back to in a pinch. Now take Triple H. Triple H running NXT, you can see what his tendencies are in his booking and his tendencies are very much based in like old school NWA from the 80s. If Triple H, Triple H's default booking setting is to have a bad guy champion who's got a stable around him. I mean, just look like in NXT, Adam Cole uh, has got the Undisputed Era around him and he's the NXT champion. In NXT UK, Walter is the United Kingdom champion. He has Imperium around him. In a pinch, Triple H goes back to the Four Horsemen. That's where his influence is is strongest. Uh, then, you know, we discussed Paul Heyman's booking. There's a lot of edgy characters um, and, and, and wrestlers that he thinks fans will find cool. Another one that he pushed that now we, we never see her is Liv Morgan. Where the heck is Liv Morgan? Liv Morgan looked like she was getting the push, and now she's gone. Just like Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. Where's Shayna Baszler? Shayna Baszler um, I, hasn't been on... She wasn't on last week's Raw. Who knows where Shayna Baszler is? And other booking things like Impact Wrestling. You know, they have a very easy-to-identify booking strategy. They like comedy. There's a lot of comedy in Impact Wrestling, but not like the silly comedy that we may have gotten used to or WWE fans may have gotten used to. Like, their comedy actually makes you laugh, which is good. They'll also do the Undead Realm stuff, so they're very into cinematic matches. Even before live fans were gone, Impact Wrestling, always big on cinematic matches. Uh, and Impact will also, over the last couple of years, they will try to do things that create a bit of a buzz. right? So whether it's Tessa Blanchard as world champion, or it's teasing that all these released WWE stars are going to be at Slammiversary on July 18th. That's impact strategy. You look at MLW, MLW likes lots of factions. There's a, uh, a heavy Lucha influence. Uh, well, they, you know, obviously they, they do shows in Mexico. They also bring in wrestlers from Japan. They really tout like this hybrid style. I mean, the show's called Fusion, a mesh of all these styles. That's sort of MLW's booking strategy. And then Ring of Honor is just pro wrestling with all the bells and whip whistles uh, stripped away from it. It's just, here's pro wrestling at its, uh, in its most raw form, so to speak. And, and Paul Heyman's style of booking is now out. And we're going to get Vince McMahon style shows on Raw and SmackDown. Or so it seems. So one could be led to believe. And there's another point I wanted to make about 
this one-year experiment WWE did with Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff. Or in the in the case of Eric Bischoff, it was really like a four-month experiment. But there was a lot of people talking at the time like, whoa, wow, this is a big shot at Triple H. Why was Triple H not given Raw? Why was Triple H not given SmackDown? There's a real easy answer to that. Triple H is married to Vince McMahon's daughter, and the roles given to Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff, those are roles where you could fire the people. Vince McMahon can't fire Triple H. So NXT is a little bit... Um, it's easier for, I don't want to say failure, but non-success. It's a little easier for non-success to be hidden in NXT. And really, when you look at NXT, they are losing the Wednesday Night War. I think they've only actually won once. It was actually pretty close this week, but I think they've only won the Wednesday Night War once. And Triple H is still running NXT. Triple H will still be running NXT this time next year. Triple H will still be running NXT this time the year after that. That's why Triple H was a move to Raw or SmackDown, because those are like coaching or managing positions in sports. The owner can fire the person at any time. He fired Eric Bischoff four months in, and he fired Paul Heyman before the year was out. So unfortunately, wrestling has been dealing with um, a lot of tragedy as of late. I mean, the whole world is. Uh, in wrestling, we lost Shad Gaspard recently. We lost Hanakumura. Both of those deaths coming way too like they were they were both way too young, obviously, and and tragic circumstances in both cases. We did lose another. Um, Legend, another icon in wrestling this week. Mr. Wrestling 2 passed away uh, at the age of 85. And obviously, the, the, you know, his death, maybe not as, as tragic. It wasn't a, a premature death. He did get to lead a long life. But Mr. Wrestling 2, I mean, definitely an icon, a legend in wrestling. His popularity mainly in the in the 70s and early 80s when he adopted the Mr. Wrestling 2 gimmick. And I'm I've been watching Mid-South Wrestling from 1980. I just finished like all of 1982 Mid-South Wrestling on the WWE network. And Mr. Wrestling 2 is a big part of that show. He's a little bit like it it's past his glory days in 1982. I mean, his glory days are really the 70s. By the time you get to 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 the 80s, he's a little bit older. And um, by the time Vince McMahon started sort of taking over the territories, uh, he, he well, I mean, he ended up in WWE for a couple of years there and and didn't do didn't do much while he was there. But tributes to Mr. Wrestling to have been pouring in online. Uh, Jerry Lawler wrote something nice. The NWA wrote something nice, but I, I really got to see Mr. Wrestling to, for the first, like to, to follow his, a period in his career for the first time watching Mid-South Wrestling from 1982. And you really see how popular the guy was, how, how much the fans responded to what uh, he was doing. And when you think of a, 
masked wrestling icon. I mean, he's got to be one of, if not the first image that, that pops into your mind. So a lot of people uh, celebrating the life of, of Mr. Wrestling 2 uh, this week. Tragically, uh, we did lose Mr. Wrestling 2 um, uh, at the age of uh, 85, uh, real name Johnny Walker, uh, big star in the 70s and 80s, Georgia Championship Wrestling, Mid-South uh, Wrestling. And there's been lots of stories uh, going on uh, or, or being told online about how President Jimmy Carter was a big fan of Mr. Wrestling too, invited him to his inauguration at the White House. However, the Secret Service insisted that Mr. Wrestling 2 uh, attend unmasked and that was just something uh, that wasn't going to work for him so he he did not attend the inauguration of, of jimmy carter but mr wrestling too uh, passing away this week at the age of 85 and uh, the wrestling world mourning his loss and celebrating his life So very big news announced this week. New Japan Pro Wrestling is returning to throwing live events. They haven't thrown a live event since February. So four months. It's going to be four months, a little under four months that New Japan Pro Wrestling went without any live gate. And live attendance and live shows are a bigger part of New Japan Pro Wrestling's business model than some companies that you see in North America. And during this time, they didn't release a single wrestler, not one from their roster. Everybody kept their jobs. And other companies have done that. Like AEW didn't release anybody, but AEW has been making money this entire time. They aren't getting live gates, but they did a pay-per-view, which brought in uh, over 100,000 purchases for a $60 pay-per-view. That's some money right there that they brought in. And they're making money from their TV deal with uh, TNT and TSN in Canada and, and Fight.TV internationally and um, the other channels that they're on. Uh, and not that New Japan Pro Wrestling, I mean, they have TV deals, but a, a larger percentage of their revenue is believed to come from live events than is for other companies. But despite going four months with no live events, not a single wrestler was let go. And that's great for wrestling. Because one thing about wrestling is the more jobs there are for wrestling, the better it is for wrestling. Because more people will go into wrestling if it's secure employment, if you can make more money. And then the talent pool is larger. And just better wrestling comes out of that. So that's good that New Japan Pro Wrestling did that. Now on Tuesday this week, they announced that they're returning to live events and they're returning with the New Japan Cup 2020. And this tournament was originally canceled. I guess it was just postponed. I mean, now that they're doing it. Um, but this annually held every year in March. Little bit of a change this year. They're going to a 32-man format over a 16-wrestler format. And for this tournament in particular, both junior heavyweights and heavyweights will be competing against each other. The winner will take on Tetsuya Naito 
for both the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and the IWGP Intercontinental Championship at Dominion, which will be held in July. And they're going to run it at 33% capacity. So fans will be in there. They're expecting about 4,000 fans. So if you've been looking to, to, to get pro wrestling back with live fans again, and not just other wrestlers in the audience, you're going to get that at Dominion in Osaka, Joe Hall. Everybody's going to be spread out. Everybody's going to be wearing masks. I mean, for New Japan Pro Wrestling, in the last few years, lots of people have been wearing masks. But you're, we're, we're finally going to get fans back. Um, they'll be spread out, but they'll be inside Osaka, Joe Hall. So, New Japan Pro Wrestling, back at it starting Monday, June 15th. They've got sort of a mystery show. No matches announced for it. It's called Together Project Special, which it sounds nice, doesn't it? It sounds like we're all a part of this show. We're all working on it together, and it's going to be special. There's going to be no spectators for that. But then on Tuesday of the on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, we get the first matches in the New Japan Cup. So let's just preview the matches that we're going to get Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. Next week, we'll we'll look at the other matches as well. All right. So on Tuesday, these are the matches. We got Togi Makabe uh, versus Yota Suju Suji Yota Suji. And we got Tomohiro Ishii versus El Desperado, Toru Yano versus Jado, and Tomoaki Hanma versus Haramu Takahashi. And Hanma versus Takahashi should be a good match. I would imagine that that's going to close the show. But 32-man tournament, the opening round matches, there's going to be a lot of matches here where you sort of know who's going to win. You know... Maccabee versus uh, Suji. Maccabee, probably the heavy favorite going in there. Ishii, probably the heavy. Well, I don't know. I mean, Ishii, I'd put as the, the favorite over Desperado. But you never you never know. Desperado could, you know, do something dirty, underhanded to get an upset victory. Yano versus Jado, of course, that's going to be comedy. I'd imagine that Yano is going to win. Uh, just so there's more Toro Yano matches throughout the tournament, but that's not really uh, set in stone. Hanma versus Takahashi. I'd probably rank Takahashi as the favorite in that match over Hanma, but you never really know. New Japan sort of does a good job of throwing in some upsets there just to keep everybody on their toes. You don't want, I mean, you don't want wrestling to be too predictable. You shouldn't go into every match knowing who's going to win. There should be a few upsets there to, to keep you on your toes. But that's the lineup for Tuesday in terms of the tournament matches. I don't I don't know if they're going to have a lot of the preliminary tag team matches that they do on shows with spectators. They might just do the tournament matches because, again, no live crowd. It's not like the live crowd's going to be what, we only saw four matches? Boo! They're not there. So it might just be the tournament matches. We'll have to see. I don't know. Then on Wednesday, very Wednesday, uh, there's two very interesting matches uh, on this show. We got Okada versus Gato. So you got Okada going up against his former manager who turned his back on him and aligned with Jay White. 
I would imagine Gato and his Bullet Club cronies are going to try something underhanded here to give Gato a shot against Okada. Then we got Yuji Nagata versus Minoru Suzuki. That will be a lot of fun. It's been months since anybody's seen Minoru Suzuki. And uh, you might wonder if Minoru Suzuki has something devious planned for Yuji Nagata. He always has something devious planned, but maybe something particularly devious due to the long time off he's had between matches. Uh, Umura versus uh, Kanemaru and Gabriel Kidd versus Taiji Ishimori are the other two matches. Uh, So that's Tuesday and Wednesday's lineup for the New Japan Cup. And so... In terms of this tournament, a lot of a lot of wrestlers from North America, from Europe, from Australia or New Zealand, uh, they're not involved in this in the tournament this year uh, due to travel restrictions, due to sort of the late notice of this tournament starting up again. So you've got guys that you know, you know, Bad Luck Fale is not in there. Jay White's not in there. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. is, Will Ospreay is not. So when you look at the brackets here, which is up on uh, your screen if you're listening to or listening and watching the video version, um, anytime Okada is in a tournament, I always figure Okada's the favorite. In terms of like storyline, who's the best wrestler, like who's the best at winning wrestling matches? There's no question about it in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Kazuchika Okada is the best at winning wrestling matches in New Japan Pro Wrestling. I mean, obviously Naito beat him, but it still feels like, okay, Naito can beat Okada, but if they were to wrestle 10 times, Okada would beat Naito more than Naito beats Okada, but maybe that's changing. So I, I, I feel like Okada is, well, yes, I definitely feel like Okada's the favorite. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to win. But I would rank him as the favorite. So he's on the left side of the brackets, which is where Tuesday and Wednesday's matches all take place. And if you look at the others on the left side of the brackets, who could possibly win the tournament? Uh, Maybe Minoru Suzuki seems unlikely. Maybe Hiramu Takahashi, you could finally do Takahashi versus Naito. That's a possibility. But it seems like coming outside of the left side of the brackets, Okada making it to the finals seems like the most likely occurrence. But again, this is New Japan Pro Wrestling. They'll keep you on your toes. Not everything you expect to happen is going to happen. Then on the right side of the brackets, Hiroshi Tanahashi. I mean, anytime he's in anything he's got to be considered a heavy favorite not so much as okada anymore because the story with tanahashi is he was the best for 10 years but now he's a little bit older not quite as good other wrestlers who could come out the right side of the bracket possibly in this tournament kota abushi of course Kota Ibushi could be right there. Kota Ibushi could win the New Japan Cup, could go on to face Naito in the main event of Dominion. That'd be great. Kota Ibushi, 
I'd, I'd rank him uh, maybe a little bit more of a favorite to make it to the finals than Tanahashi on the right side of the brackets, but they're both right there. And then you've got, you know, I mean, maybe Goto would make it to the finals. Goto has a history of, of uh, you know, doing well, but then, say, coming up uh, short. I think he's had eight different cracks at the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and hasn't managed to win it once. But that's the New Japan Cup. And, of course, it'll continue on the 22nd and the 23rd with the first round matches on the right side of the bracket. And we'll cover that more next week. But a lot of fans rejoicing at the fact that New Japan Pro Wrestling will be back next week. And they'll be back with fans on July 12th in Osaka Joe Hall for Dominion. All right, WWE presents Backlash tomorrow night from the WWE Performance Center in Orlando. And we are in the empty arena era for pro wrestling. But it doesn't feel like this is going to be a similar show to, say, WrestleMania. I don't know if we're going... It doesn't feel like we're going to get any real cinematic matches like the Boneyard match or the Firefly Funhouse. Everything is just a straight-up match. In fact, one match is being billed as the greatest wrestling match ever. And that seems to be a good place to start for our Backlash preview here. We've got Randy Orton versus Edge in a match being billed as the greatest wrestling match ever. Now, that's a strange thing to do. The match has... Well, I mean, technically, the match has been taped. But in storyline, the match hasn't taken place yet. So how can we determine if it's the greatest wrestling match ever? And what is WWE's motivation for labeling it the greatest wrestling match ever? Some have said that this is just a search engine optimization thing. And they want, when anybody types in to Google, greatest wrestling match ever, like say you just... You just want to watch a wrestling match. And you're like, well, what wrestling match should I watch? Oh, I should watch the greatest wrestling match ever. So you would type that into Google. They want Randy Orton versus Edge to come up. And it kind of seems like both Orton and Edge have been mocking how this match has been built. Uh, like Edge did an interview with, uh, I think it was SI.com or maybe ESPN. One, one of those two, but he... He basically said, I was kind of surprised by this. At first, I thought it was a joke. I mean, how do you how do you do this? You're putting so much pressure on this match. And Edge hasn't Edge has had one match in the last nine and a half years. And he's got this kind of pressure to have it be the greatest wrestling match ever. And that's strange because, you know, wrestling is entertainment, so it's subjective. Some people think Steve Austin versus Bret Hart at WrestleMania 13 was the greatest match ever. Some think Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada at the Tokyo Dome was the greatest wrestling match ever. Some people think Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat was the greatest wrestling match ever. 
But Randy Orton versus Edge, they're telling you this is the greatest wrestling match ever. As if there was an objective truth to it. That we we added up all the points. We scored up everything, added the tallies, and the winner of the greatest wrestling match ever is Randy Orton versus Edge. But everybody is going to go into this match thinking, so what about this match is the greatest wrestling match ever? I can't imagine a scenario where the vast majority of people who watch this match come away from it going, that was not the greatest wrestling match ever. It feels like they have to do something, right? Like, there has to be some swerve, some unexpected happening, some, like, maybe Randy Orton does something to ruin what would have been the greatest wrestling match ever. Who knows? Who knows what they're doing with this one? But whatever it is they've got planned... It'll air tomorrow night, backlash from the WWE Performance Center. Very interesting billing WWE has given this match. But there are other matches on this show. I'm assuming the greatest wrestling match ever will be the main event, right? Because if it's the greatest wrestling match ever, uh, how is anybody going to follow it? And that would be really surprising to me if if the like greatest wrestling match ever is like third on the show. It's like, well, I mean, that seems like you'd want to put it on last as the big main event. I mean, how often do you get to broadcast the greatest wrestling match ever? I, I guess we'll have to see. There's also one of the most bizarre universal championship matches ever booked on the show. In a two-on-one handicap, Braun Strowman will be defending the championship against The Miz and John Morrison. Now, I'm assuming the rules to this are a little similar as to when Braun Strowman defended the Intercontinental Championship against Sami Zayn's Artist Collective with Sami Zayn, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Cesaro, and somehow... Sami Zayn walked away with the Intercontinental Championship. So I guess they're thinking, well, fans remember Strowman lost the last championship Strowman had. He lost in a handicap match. So let's put him in another handicap match. And some people will think he's he's gonna lose the title. And maybe he will, but it seems like Strowman just got this championship at WrestleMania. Maybe he has what it takes to to thwart the Miz and John Morrison. And they did something on SmackDown recently where Miz and Morrison were, were sort of the guys in, from Pranked, it looked like, or some like hidden camera prank show, and they, were, they tried to drop green slime on Braun Strowman. This is all very WWE Vince McMahon stuff. Like This is the stuff that you would get on Bruce Prichard's SmackDown that you would never get on Paul Heyman's Raw. But now there is no Paul Heyman's Raw. It's all Bruce Pritchard and Vince McMahon. So this kind of stuff could start happening on Raw again uh, real soon. But that's the Universal Championship match, Braun Strowman versus The Miz and John Morrison. We also got a WWE Championship match as Drew McIntyre will defend against Bobby Lashley. Lashley likely will have MVP in his corner. 
And you wonder if Lana is still going to be involved here with Bobby Lashley. I mean, everything in Raw now is up in the air. You don't know what's going to happen. You assume that Vince McMahon and the other writers are on board with Drew McIntyre because rarely does somebody win the Royal Rumble and then beat the champion at WrestleMania without having been anointed by Vince McMahon to some degree. And of course, Vince McMahon early in Drew McIntyre's career labeled him as a future world champion. Then he fired him. Then he brought him back. And now he is world champion. So he's been right and wrong about Drew McIntyre in the past. But Bobby Lashley has this sort of um, subplot line where MVP is now his manager. And this is infuriating Lana because they like to show Lana angry on WWE Raw. We also got a Raw Women's Championship match. Asuka will defend against Nia Jax. This is interesting. So Asuka, who just won the championship at Money in the Bank, she's now taking on Nia Jax, who just returned after a nearly year-long absence. She was gone from just after WrestleMania and then returned just after WrestleMania this year. So Nia Jax versus Asuka. And, of course, Nia Jax has sort of been the subject of some criticism online regarding uh, a tree slam that she sort of missed and threw Carrie Sane onto her tailbone and onto the second turnbuckle instead of the top turnbuckle. Um, shortly after re-debuting, uh, there was also an incident she threw Carrie Sane into the steps and... Uh, Carrie got a little busted open there. So the fans that uh, like to to hate on people for what they perceive as unsafe wrestling, they're really on Nia Jax right now. But Asuka, this is going to be her first big title defense in her reign. And again, this is happening on Raw. So if you're a fan of Asuka, you hope that Vince McMahon is also a fan of Asuka and that her ascension to the championship position on Raw wasn't a case of Paul Heyman pushing for her, but rather a case of the whole writing team being uh, behind her. And we really don't know. We won't find out for a few weeks or even a month or two who are going to be the new favorites on Raw, if Asuka is still going to be in that category. On the same line of thinking, we've got a United States Championship match booked for backlash between Apollo Crews and Andrade. And Apollo Crews is somebody who did a whole lot of nothing for a long time and is now getting this push to the United States Championship. Is he going to remain in that position or is he going to fall back as to somebody just forgotten about? Andrade, I mean, he seems like kind of a no-brainer to be given a bigger role, but... It always seems like he comes close to getting that bigger role, but then is sort of knocked down a peg. And this little mini stable that he's had with Zelina Vega and Angel Garza and briefly Austin Theory, they seem to lose all the time. And I think that sort of hurt them as a stable is their win-loss record on Raw is not strong. But it's possible Andrade could get his United States Championship 
title back at Backlash, it, it's also possible that Apollo Crews retains the title and continues to move up the card. Again, we don't know. We'll see. But this should be a good match. Apollo Crews, he can do a lot of fun stuff. And Andrade, he's a good wrestler. I don't know if Andrade is capable of having the greatest wrestling match ever. I don't know that Randy Orton nor Edge is, for that matter. But still, very good wrestler. We also have the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships. They'll be on the line at Backlash. Bailey and Sasha Banks recently won those titles on SmackDown from Bliss Cross. Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. And they will take on Bliss Cross and the Iconics, Peyton, Hoyce, Peyton Royce and Billy Kay and Backlash. And then the winner of that match is going to go to NXT on Wednesday and take on Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox, two very up-and-coming stars of the NXT women's division. So we'll see where they go with uh, the tag team division in the future. I mean, again, the tag team division, women's tag team division, just kind of floats around from the three brands. And it feels like we don't have a lot of established tag teams. Established women's tag teams. The Iconics are an established tag team. Bailey and Sasha Banks are an established tag team. And now Bliss Cross is an established tag team as well. What other ones are there? It seemed like we'd been getting Aaliyah and Vanessa Bourne on NXT. We might still get that. Maybe they'll be part of the Robert Stone brand or something like that. But Paige was on WWE backstage this week. And she sort of echoed this sentiment as well. We're not really building new teams. Occasionally, two women will be put together. But in terms of building a tag team division, there's not a lot of set teams. But the three set teams that they do have, they're going to be in this match here. And then finally, uh, one other match that'll take place at Backlash, Jeff Hardy versus Sheamus. And the storyline here is, you know, they're really making a point to bring out Jeff Hardy's history with... DUIs and uh, drug and alcohol abuse. And the storyline is, well, it's believed that Seamus ran over Jeff Hardy and Elias and took them out of the Intercontinental Championship Tournament. Seamus denies it. But a witness said they saw somebody with red hair and a red beard driving driving the car that hit Jeff Hardy and Elias. So is there... Somebody else with red hair and a red beard who might be upset about the Intercontinental Tournament? It, was it Sheamus and he's just lying? I don't know. We'll find out. And then on SmackDown last, uh, last night, um, Jeff Hardy was being forced to take a, like a drug test and ended up throwing a thing of urine into Sheamus's face. I think they've done that sort of angle a couple of times. I remember they did it with Marty Jannetty once. Um, I think they did it. With some others as well. But that's Backlash. So we got seven matches on the show. I don't think any of them are really going to be a quote-unquote cinematic match. Looks like this is just a straight wrestling card. We'll see if it goes the same length that their pay-per-views have been doing recently. Under three hours. I think a lot of people are responding positively to that. Like, yeah, you know, two and a half, three hours. That's a good pay-per-view time. If you want to take your bigger shows longer than that, okay. But let's keep the majority of them to something that you can just sit down and watch without ever going, oh my God, when is this over? (music) 
So just before we go for this week, I want to talk a little bit about last weekend's pay-per-view NXT TakeOver in your house. And they did. I said last week, I would be furious if they did not have the suburban home and garage setup that they used to have for the in your house pay-per-views. They did have it. It was a little bit different, but they did have it. I did like that Johnny Gargano sort of did an interview from his house and then walked out and locked the door and that's how he entered. So that part passed the test. So let's just run down some of the big happenings from In Your House last weekend. So we started off with a six-woman tag team match. Mia Yim, Shotzi Blackheart, and Tegan Knox defeating Candice LeRae, Dakota Kai, and Raquel Gonzalez. This match felt very much like we're going to... We're going to... Like, whoever wins this match, that's going to be who sort of is the next in line to get pushed in the NXT women's division. Like right at the top of the women's division, we got Rhea Ripley and Io Shirai. Those are the two top ones. Io Io Shirai obviously would go on to win the championship. Rhea Ripley, former champion right there. Those Those are the two top dogs in that division. But this here, it felt like, all right, you've got sort of the next six highest ranked women in the division. So whoever gets the pin here, is likely the top of that bracket in the division. And it was Tegan Knox getting the victory here. Shotzi Blackheart also looked very strong in the match. And now, of course, Blackheart and Tegan Knox are going to team together against the women's tag team champions uh, Nick, or this coming Wednesday on NXT. So it feels like with all the vignettes that Shotzi Blackheart is getting, that she's someone... That could be moving up the rankings soon. Tegan Knox is someone who's been highly touted for a long time. Injuries have hampered her move up the card. But getting the pin here in the six-woman tag to kick off in your house and getting the title shot this week, I think that sends the message to fans that they that Tegan Knox and Shotzi Blackheart are about to uh, really break out in this division. That's what I feel this match communicated to fans. Then next up, we had Finn Balor defeating Damian Priest. And the story of this match was Damian Priest was dominating Finn Balor, dominating Finn Balor. I mean, Balor would come back, Priest would cut him off, and, you know, Damian Priest was just too big, too powerful. But then he was, he was going to give the, the razor's edge to Balor from the ring down to the floor, onto the steel steps. And during this match, they had really played up how influential Scott Hall has been on Damian Priest's career. You know, leading to that sort of him attempting to do the razor's edge. Balor escapes from it, knocks Priest onto the steps himself, gets Priest back in the ring, gives him the double foot stomp uh, a couple of times. And pins him. So the story of the match is Finn Balor won. But Damian Priest is really good still. And then Damian Priest sort of cut a promo on NXT. uh, Saying he may have lost. I I can't remember what he said. He he may have lost. But he basically commuted to fans. I may have lost. But I'm really good. And Finn Balor. He defeated Cameron Grimes on NXT this week. And then said he wants a shot at Keith Lee. So Finn Balor and Keith Lee uh, 
It's going to be in the next NXT North American Championship match. But we did have an NXT North American Championship match between Keith Lee and Johnny Gargano at In Your House. And the story of this match here was Keith Lee was going in with two injuries. He'd been poked in the eye by Johnny Gargano's keys on NXT, and he also had an injured hand. And that's all Johnny Gargano did throughout this entire match was try to work on Keith Lee's injured hand and poke him in the eye with, uh, with his keys again. And it was all about Keith Lee overcoming this adversity to still be the dominant wrestler to still pick up the victory over Johnny Gargano. So he gets the big title defense here, even though, so, I mean, so the idea here was even though Keith Lee is so much bigger than Johnny Gargano, his hand and eye injury gave Johnny Gargano the advantage over the bigger opponent. So Keith Lee had this adversity to overcome and win the match. And he did that. Now on NXT, uh, there was a, a mixed gender tag match. Gargano wins with a with a cheap little roll up, and so he sort of comes away from the rivalry with the last laugh. But obviously, the big match is the North American title match. Keith Lee wins that. Johnny Gargano saves a little face on NXT, and now we move into Keith Lee versus Finn Balor. Then we go to the NXT Championship match. The backlot brawl between Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream. And to me, obviously, again, wrestling is entertainment. So if you like this match, that's awesome. And I'm not saying I didn't like this match, but it wasn't what I expected. Because coming into this, there's been so much made of cinematic matches. And when you think of a backlot brawl, you think of Goldust versus Roddy Piper. And that is one of the most iconic matches in WrestleMania history. And if you're thinking of matches filmed like a movie, that's the first one I can think of. Like in my history of watching wrestling. There's been empty arena matches and stuff like that, you know, before the backlot brawl. But the backlot brawl to me is one of, one of, if not the most iconic, quote unquote, cinematic matches of all time. And so if you're going to have a match be called the Backlot Brawl, there was no references to Goldust or Piper. There was no references to that match. Like, it felt like to me they would do like, remember in the Backlot Brawl uh, from WrestleMania, they did the Bronco chase, you know, and and, uh, Goldust was driving a gold Cadillac and things like that. And maybe they didn't want, gold dust references because now gold, you can see gold dust Dustin Rhodes on AEW Dynamite every week. It's going to have a, a tag title match on this week's Dynamite. So maybe they didn't want that, but you could have still had the Roddy Piper references. Velveteen Dream could have dressed up as Roddy Piper. There could have been some callbacks to the Hollywood backlot brawl that I mean, if you were going to have a match with no references to the Hollywood backlot brawl, call it something else. Don't call it a backlot brawl. Technically, I mean, yeah, it was a backlot brawl. They were in a backlot and they brawled. But it was completely different than Goldust and Roddy Piper. And I went into it thinking that there would be similarities 
between this match and Goldust versus Roddy Piper, and there was none. So I wasn't really judging it on its own merits. I was judging it based on my expectations. My expectations were wrong. They were misguided. I wasn't getting what I thought I, I, I was going to get, and I ended up disappointed. <laughs> that doesn't mean it was a bad match. But I was disappointed that I didn't get what I thought I was going to get and what I was sort of excited to see. People who weren't going in expecting this match to resemble the Hollywood backlot brawl were very likely less disappointed than I was. But regardless, there is a storyline to this. Uh, Velveteen Dream, he with the loss, he can no longer challenge for the NXT championship while Adam Cole is uh is champion adam cole continues on with his year-long plus reign as nxt champion however a new challenger has arrived for adam cole and we would see that new challenger in the semi-final match from takeover in your house carrying cross defeated tomaso champa in uh in, in sort of a quick match i mean I don't know. I think it was around 10 minutes or something like that. But the match was basically carrying crosses, dominating Champa is overcoming adversity to make comebacks. But, but just as he does, so cross locks him into the straight jacket choke and Champa goes out, doesn't submit Champa goes out. And of course, like, you know, Champa submitting just wouldn't fit really with what we know of Champa with all the things that Champa has overcome he would let himself go unconscious before he would tap out. And that's exactly what Karrion Cross did. And so Karrion Cross, looking dominant over a former NXT champion, that right away sends the message to fans, this guy's a real threat for the NXT championship. And now he's moving into a feud with Adam Cole. So he just beat a huge baby face in Tommaso Ciampa. And now he's moving on to like the biggest heel in NXT. So I also think they're doing this weird gray area with Cross where he's neither a good guy or a bad guy. He's just a dominant monster guy. And if he's facing a wrestler you don't like, maybe you cheer for Cross. If he's facing a wrestler you do like, maybe you cheer against Cross. It's not clear. But they made it very clear in this match that carrying Cross is going to be a big deal in NXT. And he's a big threat for that NXT championship. And then so after Adam Cole beat Dexter Loomis on NXT this week, Scarlett Bordeaux comes out with an hourglass, flips it over, and that sends the message to Adam Cole and NXT fans that Cole's time is running up. And when it's up, he's going to have to face Karrion Cross. And you wonder, could Karrion Cross defeat Adam Cole and take the title just like that in his in what might be just his second non-squash match in the promotion, it's possible. It's possible they just decide, you know what? We're going all the way with this guy. Maybe Triple H is thinking, I don't know how long I'm going to have Karrion Cross for before Vince McMahon goes, I want that guy on Raw or SmackDown. And so he's like, I got to get him in the, in the main event picture right away. Because I can't afford to lose another, you know, I just lost Matt Riddle. Please don't take Karrion Cross away from me already. But Karrion Cross is a guy who I'm sure when Vince McMahon does select him for Raw or SmackDown, I mean, he looks like a guy 
that Vince McMahon would be very interested in pushing to the top of the card. So big things coming for the former Killer Cross. And it really started with this victory here over Tommaso Ciampa. Then finally, the NXT Women's Championship match. We had a triple threat. And Io Shirai is the new NXT Women's Champion. She does a moonsault off the top onto Rhea Ripley while Charlotte Flair had her locked in the figure four or the figure eight. And so she pins Ripley. It looks like, for all intents and purposes, Charlotte Flair is not going to be around in NXT anymore. Looked like maybe her role was just to be there for a couple of months. Charlotte Flair is... For whatever anybody wants to say about how much WWE pushes Charlotte Flair, Charlotte Flair is an anointed one in WWE. She's going to be at the top of the women's divisions for as long as she's doing this. She is, they have labeled her a main event star with no exceptions. And she sort of loses the title here without losing the title. She lost it in a triple threat match. Maybe maybe she'll wrestle Rhea Ripley again. And Ripley might be able to defeat him. Or maybe she'll wrestle Leo Shirai and Leo Shirai will beat her. Maybe. If that does happen, I would expect it to happen on Raw or SmackDown more than... uh, It's more likely to happen on Raw or SmackDown than it is on NXT. And that was NXT in your house. And it was a takeover without fans. But I think we got, uh, you know, we got some fun matches and we got some new directions that the storylines are going. We got a new NXT Women's Champion, Neo Shirai. We got a new main event program between Karrion Cross and, and Adam Cole. We've got, it looks like Finn Balor and Keith Lee are building to a program. And we got Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox both kind of moving up the rankings there. So there's a, there was a lot coming out of NXT in your house. And that's going to do it for our show this week. That was the big stuff making news in the world of wrestling this week. Thanks again, everybody, for supporting this show. And uh, don't forget to check out SpoilerFreeWrestling.com, SBFWrestling.com. We're on YouTube. Obviously, you found this podcast already. And we'll talk to you again next week.